1: All right, podcast fans, what's going on? How you doing? What is up? Welcome to episode 135 of the Moranalytics podcast presented by our friends over at Pulse Cellular. Today is Tuesday, July 16th. I am Patrick Moran. Actually, you know what? I am primo podcaster, Patrick Moran. My man, Mike Harrington from the Buffalo News on, I believe it was Sunday night, Retweeted out something that I had put up on Twitter and he labeled me the primo podcaster. And yo, man, if Mike says it, it must be true. So I like the way that sounds. The primo podcaster, Patrick Moran. I'm going to find a way to work that into my shtick going forward. Absolutely for sure. Anyway, happy 716 day to all the Buffalonians listening to this episode. Speaking of, thank you as always for listening for downloading this episode. If you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do so right now. Matter of fact, you can actually still be rewarded. You can be compensated for subscribing to this podcast. What am I talking about? Well, all you got to do is go to my Twitter page at Pamoran Tweets, pinned right there at the very top. I have a prize pack giveaway still ongoing, this will be the last week that we're doing it, comes courtesy of our friends over at Identity Inc., all you got to do is like that tweet that's pinned right at the top and subscribe to this podcast. You can do it on either Apple or Android, either or Google Play, doesn't matter, long as you're subscribed and you like that tweet, you have a chance to win, what, do you have a chance to win? You have a chance to win three really Really cool Buffalo themed t shirts. Again, courtesy of our friends over at Identity Inc., who do such an outstanding job with all kinds of gear t shirts, hats, hoodies, promotional company material, office stuff you name it. They do it, Identity Inc. Anyway, three of them, they could be yours. Go we'll do it now before it's too late. In fact, on Friday's show, I'm going to announce the winner. As for today, man, coming up on today's show, I will be talking plenty of Buffalo Bills, plenty of Buffalo Sabres, and plenty of Seinfeld now that I just completed binge-watching that. First time ever I actually watched Seinfeld. I just completed my binge over this past weekend. I feel like a kid who got a Christmas present 20 years ago put it in my closet because I wanted to save it to open it later when no one was around, forgot about it. And then like 20 years or so later, I found it and I got to open it. That's how I feel about Seinfeld, an all-time show. So happy that I finally binge watched it. I didn't realize what I was missing. Anyway, I'm going to be doing all that with my man, Jeff Boyd from the 716 Sports Podcast. We have our segment called The Big Boy Theory. Going to have that for you in just a minute. Real quick, man, before I get into today's episode, I am saddened. And many people in the boxing world are very saddened as well. Monday, news came out that Purnell Sweet P Whitaker, in my opinion, one of the very best pound for pound fighters to ever live. Certainly during this era, anyway, during the last 30 years or so, unfortunately. Died at the age of just 55 after he was struck by a vehicle in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Just awful, awful sad news. And listen, man, I'm not going to try to pretend like I'm still a big boxing fan. I'm not. I'll watch one or two fights a year when the biggest names get together to fight, which again, in today's era, is very rare and very few people care about. But back in the day, man, back in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, boxing was king. It was the sweet signs and everybody loved it. And Pernell Whitaker was as good as any, as good as any. And he's part of that famous Olympic gold medal U.S. boxing team, or he won a gold medal as part of that U.S. boxing team in 1984. One of the greatest boxing teams that were ever assembled, if not the greatest, man. You had Purnell, you had Mark Breeland, you had Meldrick Taylor, you had Tyrell Biggs, you had Evander Holyfield, who, by the way, is the one guy that I mentioned that actually didn't win a gold medal. He only won a bronze, arguably had the greatest, boxing career professionally of any of them and i say arguably only because pernell whitaker is a hall of famer 2007 class hall of fame world champion of four weight classes again considered one of the greatest pound for pound fighters of all time all time and i'll never forget i'll never forget in 1993 julio Cesar chavez pernell put a whip it on him i remember watching it on hbo I don't remember if it was HBO pay-per-view or not, but I remember watching the fight. I know I saw the fight and Pernell whooped him and he got robbed. Robbed. They called it a draw. It was not a draw. I'm not sure. Chavez won three rounds. They called the fight a draw. It was just one of the all-time, most corrupt decisions I, I can remember in boxing. I don't know if it was at that point where I realized how corrupt boxing could be, but if it wasn't, that wasn't the first time. It was the time where I really, really remember how bad it could get. But anyway, great fight with Oscar De La Hoya, many thought he won that fight. Oscar won a unanimous decision, but it was controversial. Uh, he fought Felix Trinidad near the end of his career. Didn't quite have it anymore. Felix got the better of him. That was probably the only definitive fight Purnell ever lost definitively in his entire career. Again, one of the all-time greats and very, very sad news to, to learn that he's passed away. Uh, what else I got here real quick? NBA. No, oh. Last week, I taped my opening on Monday, and if you listen to the show last Tuesday's episode, I was talking about just the crazy off-season that has been in the NBA and how it's just absolutely dominated sports. I don't know that I could ever remember, maybe not just basketball, maybe any sport, having a bigger off-season than the NBA's had this past year. It's just been, not even year, just the last month or so, it's just been absolutely insane. And when I taped my episode, I taped the opening, I don't know, Monday around dinner time, got everything all set up, had it uploaded Monday early evening for it to drop on Tuesday morning. I couldn't even get the episode out for you guys to listen to. And I and Russell Russell has gone. He traded. I didn't have him mentioned last week because he was still with Oklahoma City. But as soon as I taped it, like two hours later, bam, he's gone. The latest superstar to be changing teams, whether it's free agency or trade now, it's just, it's nuts. It really is nuts. Forget just the free agents trading teams like Durant and Kyrie, uh Kawhi Leonard, I should say, Kyrie Irving, some of these great players that have traded to, or went to different teams via free agency. You got the trades too, man. I mean, guys, if you want out in the NBA, you're out. The players got the power. Paul George wanted out, he's out. Westbrook wanted out, he's out. Davis wanted out, he's in, he's with the Lakers. It's just crazy. And I, man, I love basketball. I do. And I know that. A lot of people in Buffalo don't necessarily feel the same. Buffalo is a hockey town. You know, we got the Sabres. And I, you know what? I lived in Buffalo for 45 years. So if I want to say we, I'm going to say we. We still had the Sabres. I get it. After the Bills, hockey is by far the second biggest sport in Western New York, but not for me, man. It's always been about the NBA for me. I love it. In fact, I love it now more than ever. I cannot wait to give the NBA my money, my $200 to buy the league pass this year. I'm going to, Give my wife money to go to slots. Go out, have fun with your friends. Do whatever you want to do, man, because I am going to be staying home watching the NBA almost every night of the week. I'll tell you what, I might watch an NBA game before a Sabres game at this point. I know it's very unpopular opinion amongst the Buffalo folks, but yo, man, it is what it is. One last thing. Speaking of Buffalo, then we're going to get to today's episode. I talked about it last week. I am coming to Buffalo at the end of the month. I'm going to be taping five or six episodes while I am there. I'll be taping in a handful of different bars or restaurants, wing spots. And I'm going to be having some various guests lined up, some cool guests lined up. Don't know exactly where or who they're going to be yet, but I will know very soon. I'm working on those details. I'm working them out right now. I want to have them done in advance of going to Buffalo. I'll be there. I believe I'm arriving Saturday, July 27th or something like that. But anyway, if you want an opportunity to come out, Uh, catch a a taping in the show say hello to me say hello to whoever the guest is that'll be with me just follow me on twitter at pamaran tweets for details which again i will have up and available soon and on that note that is more than enough about me let's jump into today's episode and my guest here he is the big boy theory with my man jeff boyd let's do it All right, my man Jeff Boy joins me now. What's up? You know, I've learned something, man. Uh we we could talk sports and we're going to we could have the best sports talk ever, but I feel like if I really want to get the downloads and the clicks and the page views and all that jazz, that we should probably spend maybe the next 40 minutes or so talking about nothing else except for chicken wings. Feel <laughs> me on that? <laughs> What's up? People have
0: passions for chicken wings that far, far surpass anything that we have for the Bills or Sabres these days, because, you know, the Bills and the Sabres, they may let you down. Chicken wings are pretty consistently going to bring you up. So I feel like the Buffalo sports community started crutching on chicken wings. It's not just chicken wings, it's the pizza, any sort of rankings of food funny Sabres accounts, anything like that. It's how, it's how we on the Sabres social media get through the tough times of, you know, not having a team that's really putting a good product on the field or on the ice.
1: You know, I don't know how I should feel about it though. I spent a lot of time and effort building up an audience, having great guests on some such as yourself. And we talk sports and I put a lot into it and it's like some days I get some reactions. Some days it seems like people kind of don't give a shit, but man. You post the top 40 power rankings for chicken wings and you're guaranteed action. I had a tweet on Sunday night and like 26,000 impressions and like 8,600 total engagements in under 24 hours. I'm not sure I've had that in a month worth of guests combined. You know what I'm saying? It's I, everyone has an opinion on chicken wings, which is I could see it. You know, when we talk sports, like if the Sabres like for an example, the Sabres last year it's it's kind of black and white. You know, they, they, they stink. And I'm right. not saying they will going forward, but I'm talking about last year. Let's just even use last year. Forget the last eight years. They stink. What is there really to say? Who's going to really disagree with that? But when it comes to chicken wings, I, I suppose food in general, but more specifically here, when, when, I, when I talk about chicken wings and rank them, everyone has an opinion because it's just so subjective. What you like, I might hate. Maybe they're too crispy and I want them crispy or they're not crispy enough, or maybe they're too saucy or they make them a certain way. The, the sauce is a little bit sweet. You know, everyone has different tastes. So it just makes for such a fascinating, subjective analysis by friends. And, and everybody has an opinion, man. It's just, it, it just blows me away. I've probably been told in the last 24 hours, at least I've listed 40 places that I've been to since I started doing this a couple of years ago. And I probably got told at least forty new places to try just in the last twenty four hours that I'm wrong about. Don't but, even get
0: people started on that whole flats versus drums thing. That's another eighty thousand impressions you got waiting for you whenever you start dipping your toe into that water. Yeah, people what's your stance? Straight what's straight your straight stance place? on that? I'm I'm a flats
1: guy myself. Me too. I, I've been proved greatly when I first started doing this, Jeff. I I was terrible, man. I'd go to a place and it was almost borderline embarrassing. I would order wings and I would say all right, let me get medium slash hot, like in between me and them hot. And can I get them extra saucy? And then I would say not crispy, which is a very unpopular opinion. I know that. And then I would ask for all flats or as many flats as possible. But then I quickly realized that's not a fair way to critique and review chicken wings because people don't get them like that. So now I've gotten down to I'll get medium or hot wings, depending on where I am. I don't say not crispy, or I don't say extra saucy. Yeah, I give them an opportunity to make them the way they're going to make them from anyone else. But the one thing I do still say, at least most of the time anyways, I do ask for as many flats as possible, but at least as long as I got a couple wings, so I could say I tried one or two drums, that's fine. But I prefer, I'm definitely a flat guy, man, for sure. Yeah.
0: You, you got to get some drums though, to make sure they know how to cook them right. Because sometimes those extra, with the extra meaty ones, if they don't make them right, a, a really good place knows how to make them both ways but some places that have a good sauce, but don't know how to cook a wing. That's a little bit of a different story.
1: Have you been to, I don't know how often, I I think I'm a little obsessed with this stupid chicken wing thing, but again, it just keeps getting, uh, I'm getting more reaction and more um, interaction from fans when it comes to these wings and I am talking about the bills. So I am going to spend a couple of minutes talking about it. The ones that were at the top of my list, and I'm not even sure if you had an opportunity to see the top, but, among, say, those top five to 10, I'll run them down for you real quick. How many is it, have you been to? I had, and this is a refresher, if you haven't read the article yet on my blog, I got 9-11 at one, Elmo's at two, Audubon North at three, Bar Bill four, Dalmatia Hotel at five. I'll just do the top 10 here. And then I got Gabriel's Gate at six, O'Neill's seven, Ebenezer Alehouse, I got at eight, Amherst Pizza and House at nine, and then I got Mooney's on Military Road at 10. I got 40 ranked at all so far. And again, I'll be adding to that when I get back to Buffalo. But of those 10, have you had any of those?
0: I think I've done four. I've done Amherst Pizza and Ale House. I've done Mooney's. I've done Gabe's. And I've done Elmo's out of those 10 you just mentioned.
1: Any favorite out of those or just anywhere? Maybe one that I don't have? I really like
0: Amherst. I used to work right around the corner from Amherst Pizza and Ale House. So maybe it was just because we used to go there after long days of work. But something about those wings just hits right for me. That's a really, really underrated place in the area. It is.
1: I really like that place a lot. In fact, I taped a podcast there before. I had, I think we got hot wings. I was with somebody who I did the show with, and then we you know, tried the Crown Royal Barbecue, which were really good. But a really nice owner, a really nice place. The only problem with that place, which is, oh, it was only a problem for me, is that it's just it was too busy, man. <laughs> which is right. good for them, bad for me because I was trying to get you know a little bit more quiet. Not so when I did my show, but I'll aside from that really good place. But anyway, I'm going to be back in a few weeks and I'm sure we'll hit up one or two places while I'm in town, get together, hook up, have some wings, a couple beers, and maybe we'll tape an episode or something like that. I do suppose we need to talk little bills and Sabers that we haven't mean you haven't talked bills. I've never talked Buffalo bills with you. Every time we get together, it's usually Sabers and then something else at the end. So I'm kind of looking forward to hearing a couple of your Buffalo bills takes. I know it's getting that time of year on the 716 sports podcast. You'll be ramping up the bills coverage soon.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. We're getting to the end of the month of July here when kind of wondering if the bills have any more moves in the chamber, what we're going to be doing here as they start building. Now we're just really on the cusp of OTAs training camp. Now preseason games only, I mean, less than two months away from physical NFL football. It's less than eight weeks now from football Sundays.
1: Can you remember as a Buffalo sports fan, or I suppose, or just even an NFL fan period, a more quiet last couple of months since the NFL draft in this season, And I suppose, by the way, no news is good news because last year you had the whole thing with Shady going down and the robbery in Georgia and all that stuff like that, which was a distraction. If it wasn't a distraction for the entire season, it certainly was for training camp. That's for sure. But anyway, it's just been such a quiet season among the Bills and the NFL. And I'm sure part of it is because the NBA has just been so wild in recent weeks that it's kind of taken away from all the headlines. But man, it's been a quiet NFL offseason, at least the last. Maybe two months or so, hasn't it been?
0: I mean, the NFL has been dwarfed by, you mentioned NBA free agency, for sure. That's just been absolutely ridiculous what's been going on in the NBA. You have the Stanley Cup. You have the Women's World Cup, and, you know, American sports fans are focused on that. You have that crazy five-hour Wimbledon final yesterday. I mean, other sports, even just the Major League Baseball home run derby, like everything is popping in the sports world, and the NFL is just kind of chilling waiting for something to, to happen. And other than you know, like a couple of things of holdout news and a couple of players getting themselves in legal trouble, there's been not a whole lot going on in the world of football.
1: Yeah. that's that. obviously that's going to change very soon. I know the NBA is gaining a lot of traction. I'm a huge NBA guy, but they still got a long way to go to catch up to the NFL. Once it starts ramping up before we get into the bills, one last NFL thing. This is an NFL question. They're talking about potentially playing an 18 game season at some point soon And possibly even having some kind of rule where players are only allowed to play in 16 games, which I don't think in a million years that'll ever happen. Let's throw that out the window. Just generally speaking, though, what's your thoughts on potentially there being an 18 game season, maybe with only two preseason games instead of four to compensate for that?
0: I mean, I, I do think four preseason games is more than you need to determine who is going to be on your opening day roster. Um, I mean, how many of those games do you have your top level guys? your for sure starters day one. They play for maybe a half of one game and then the rest of these guys are just battling out. But I I don't know. You could go to two or three preseason games, I think, and not lose any quality in terms of determining who's going to be on your day one roster. Um, I think if you went to an 18 game season, you would have to think of a couple things. You have to think about how you're going to space it out? Do you start earlier? Do you end a little bit later? Push the Super Bowl back a little bit? Try to take more of that winter into spring market away from the NHL and the NBA? Do you add a second? You feel like you almost have to add then a second bye week into every team schedule, turning it from an eighteen, a seventeen week calendar now to a you know nineteen to twenty, to a twenty week calendar now. Yeah. I, I feel like there's a lot of concessions they have to make in player safety. I know that's why they proposed that ridiculous. You know, we'll, we'll do 18 games. We can only play 16 games. Can you? Can you imagine them actually like telling like the Tom Brady's of the world? Sorry, Tom, you have to take two games off and watch the. Like for for Bills fans, imagine if the Bills are fighting for a wild card spot. And they tell Josh Allen, LaShawn McCoy, all these guys, you know, sorry, guys, you already played 16 games. You can't go on the field for your 18th game. You have to watch your backups try to win you a playoff spot. Yeah,
1: yeah, no question about it. And, and let me add to it. How about the fans? I mean, now you're going to have to sell more games because it's going to be what? So another two games. So you have another home game that you got to sell and under that first scenario where if they had to sit out two games, you're going to tell a fan that they got to pay top dollar for an extra game and at least one game, maybe at home, possibly both at home, where you might not see Josh Allen if he can't play twice. You're going to pay yeah, top I dollar to potentially not see to Josh want to Allen. Rush
0: your players at home, you feel like you have that home field advantage. You're going to, I feel like you're more likely to take that risk on on home field than you are on the road. Which, absolutely, man. That, not just for the season ticket holders you have to pay more. Now, like I don't I to go to like a game or two, you know, every couple of years, right. Telling me the guy who's going to try to buy that secondary market ticket that I'm going to buy this ticket a month in advance and then go to the game and see none of the stars from my team or the other team? Absolutely not. They would. It's a it's a marketing ploy. It's a bargaining ploy. I feel like between them and the NFLPA, I think they're just trying to get some concessions on the 18 game season. But and that's that. Imagine like fantasy football. Like these guys who play like fantasy football, you set your lineup, and then for your playoff game, your entire starting lineup can't play. They're not hurt that the league said they can't play
1: anymore. Let me ask you this as a fan. Okay. When you take football and you take basketball and you compare the two right now, the the difference is really night and day and how the leagues are run. Like let's take the NFL. Okay. It's clearly an owner's league. All right. You got a guy like Melvin Gordon, who's one of the best running backs in the NFL going into the last year of his contract and the NFL can't get paid. He'll sit there and he will rot like Le'Veon Bell did last year. If he doesn't, if something doesn't happen or if he if he can't force a trade and they don't pay him, that's the only choice he's got. He's going to report or get paid or sit on the sidelines and not get paid. And something like this, I can't fathom some any player in the NFL agreeing to want to play an 18-game schedule. I just don't see that happening. That's an owner's move to capitalize and make more money. Conversely, you have the NBA right now, which is clearly turned into, and maybe to a fault, and this is why I want your take on it, it's a player's league. If a guy doesn't want to be around anymore, he's not. I mean, take Paul George for an example. He spurned the Lakers. He re with Oklahoma City, signs a max deal. He's there. And what, less than a one year later, um, Kawhi Leonard wants him to come to the Clippers. He walks into management and he forces a trade. Just like that. And it happens instantly. You know, Dave is going to the Lakers. That was going on for over a year. He's a player who wanted out. He gets out. It seems like the players have all the leverage, which I don't know, maybe I'm asking you this, maybe it's a negative, but the NBA is so much more a players league as opposed to the NFL, which is just completely, oh, I'm not calling it governors. They're owners as far as I'm concerned. It's an owner-driven league. And even things like Jadavian Clowney right now, I'm not sure how much you know about this situation, but he didn't sign his, um, or he's only going to be able to play under the tag this year. He can't sign an extension now because the deadline is passed, but that's one thing. But now They're trying to list him as a linebacker so they could pay him $1.2 million less for the upcoming season. This is one of the most talented players in the NFL. In the NBA, you got players sitting out games. You got Adam Silver talking about shorting the season a little bit for the players' benefit. We're in the NFL. They want to lengthen it. It's just an owner's driven league in the NFL and NBA's players league on the other end. Is there one side that you prefer that you think is right?
0: I think there's probably a, something more in the medium that would be the ideal world scenario. But I do, I do kind of like that the NBA players get to choose their own their own fates, as it was. Because so many of these NFL players, especially with how short their careers are, you know, they're going out throwing their bodies on the line, fighting for their money in the short term. And then there's no loyalty. There's no guaranteed money in a lot of these big contracts. Like Jadavian Clowney is going to try. They're going to try to cut one point seven million dollars off of his salary because they want to view him as one position versus another. That's not how you treat a guy you value. Yeah, maybe the NBA players get a little bit too much say sometimes in how they can build these super teams. Yeah, but they also build their own brands and identities. And the NBA has a has something that a lot of the other sports don't have, and they have genuine fan driven stars. They have name recognition of so many of their top players because these players are their own brands and their own marketing. Like how many NHL players? The NHL doesn't know how to market any hockey players. The NFL only knows how to market like really good football players a lot of the time. But every NBA player, because they're so much more in control, and because basketball can be controlled so much more on an individual basis than like a game of football can one football player cannot control a game of football the way that one basketball player like a LeBron James can control an NBA game.
1: All right, let's take a quick break here so I can thank today's show's sponsors. Today's episode is being brought to you by Pulse Cellular. Pulse Cellular was created to give a better option for everyone out there looking for premium wireless phone service at less cost with straightforward plans, no strings attached. No confusing fine print. None of that BS that you get everywhere else. They got you covered nationwide in the United States with unlimited talk and text, premium fast LTE data plans, hotspot coverage, no additional costs in all 50 states, including as well the Caribbean, Canada, and Mexico. Plans also include unlimited free Wi-Fi calls internationally when calling U.S. lines. There are no credit checks. There are no contracts. There are no overage costs. Go visit PulseCellular.com today. Go on there. See what they have to offer. Check out their plans. Trust me when I tell you this. You're going to find out for yourself that life is better with Pulse. And today's episode is also brought to you by Matt Cundall Voiceovers. Matt started doing voice radio ads in the 90s. As his career progressed, he began to branch out into voice work for television, films, working with e-learning companies. And voice Solution Groups, by 2015, he started working in voice full-time, and your man has been killing it ever since. Matt is now president of the Sound Off Media Company. If you need television, radio, online videos, podcasts, telephone, corporate narrations, you name it, Matt Cundell's your guy. I've used Matt's voice for stuff on multiple occasions. I've been happy each and every single time. You will as well. Go to mattcundle.ca for more information. All right, and on that note, let's get back to Jeff. I'll tell you, man, a guy like Melvin Gordon right now, a couple years ago, I would have been blasting him. Let him rot, let him sit. I'll never do that again. These guys only get a small window in the NFL to get paid when they're not just... They're in their prime. He's in his prime right now, or he's getting into his prime. This is his opportunity to get paid. Who knows what could happen? He could tear his ACL this year and he don't get shit. You know what I mean? Because the NFL only guaranteed money is whatever you get for your signing bonus or whatever your contract is with guaranteed money. The rest of it's fake money. That doesn't mean anything. So I don't know. I really,
0: lo- I the that they view you at the edge of 30. They view running backs as done by the time they hit the yeah. edge of 30. He's got got to strike while the iron's hotter. He'll never get another chance to.
1: Yeah. We talk about someone like LaShawn McCoy, which is going to be a good segue into what I was getting into next, but we talked about the guy like he's 10,000 years old. You know, he's he's 30 or he'll be 31 when the season starts for a lot of leagues. That's not old for him. That's ancient. So get your money when you could get it, you know?
0: Oh no, absolutely. And it, it, it sucks for fans of the chargers and, what they're the, what the team is going to have to try to do to shuffle around and presuming that he's not on the field on, at the beginning of the season. Who knows what's going to happen with that or with the rumored similar situation for Ezekiel Elliott in Dallas, and we'll see how that plays out too. But I, I, I have a hard time faulting the guys and Le'Veon Bell on the same token for wanting to get what they think that they're worth because Le'Veon took him while, well, but he got it in New York, and we'll see how that plays out for him.
1: You know, one last thing too, and then I really want to start talking about the Bills here. I forgot this about the NBA too. The difference is both leagues have a salary cap, but the NFL is like a hard cap. Same thing with the NHL. And it's hard sometimes to make trades for that reason. Whereas in the NBA, there's a salary cap. And if an owner is willing to pay a luxury tax and it's to re-sign their own guys, they could go over the cap. Or if they could trade for somebody that puts them over the cap, if they're willing to pay that tax, they're able to do that. Whereas in the NFL, you can't. I don't know. I just, it's something that I'm becoming, maybe as I'm getting older and understanding the way the world works a little more, And taking the fandom out of the sport, maybe out of me a little bit less than I used to, I'm really starting to side with the players when it comes to the NFL. And I know there's people out there who are saying, oh, they're all millionaires, they're rich in this and that, they're going to work a real job. Well, who cares, man? Get paid what you're worth. And in the NFL, it just seems to me like that's the one sport more and more and more that that's not happening. I just don't think it's right.
0: Yeah. And, and just can you imagine if there was a trade in the NFL this offseason that was to the scale of the fourth or fifth biggest NBA trade? Like a guy like Russell Westbrook. I don't even know what the equivalent like. It's like a Cam Newton maybe in the NFL. Imagine if Cam Newton just got traded straight up for like another quarterback, just one for one with some first round picks. How big that would be in the NFL. And meanwhile, in the NBA, I'm not even convinced that's the biggest move that happened this offseason. No, it's, it's ex- And the the way that they structure the, you know, the bird rights, the soft cappers, the hard cap, the luxury tax, things like that, allow the owners to really go out and try to swing for these home run deals. And it makes it from a spectator standpoint, I think a lot more exciting because we want these super teams to exist, whether or not we all want to admit it. We want these super teams to go up against each other, but we also from year to year, maybe want a little bit of shuffling. So we're not watching the same, you know, played out matchups year after year. I think the way the NBA is shaken out here this off season gives to some very Very, especially in the Western Conference, very interesting long-term ramifications for what you might see come playoff time.
1: Yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent. All right, let's hit the Bills for a few minutes. We did bring up Shady a couple minutes ago. When it comes to the Bills, all right, Lashawn McCoy. Let's just assume he's sticking on the team. That's what we've been told. That he's a starter. We've been hearing that for months and months and months. Let's say that the Bills are true to the word and he he is there after training camp into preseason. And let's say that Frank Gore is there as well. I don't buy TJ Elden being on this team if everyone stays healthy through camp. I think the the Singletary, the rookie, he'll be on the team. He's obviously making the team the third round pick. So let's just say it's Singletary, it's Gore, it's Shady. You're going into the season right now. Let's even forget about Singletary because I think they'll probably bring him along slowly. That's a luxury that they're afforded because they have two really good veterans with Gore and Shady. But in terms of them two guys right now, how do you see the distribution of carries or distribution of snaps going between them two? Is Shady going to start? Is he going to see... Is it going to be 50-50 in your opinion? Is it going to be like 65-35? Where do you see that going? Assuming both these guys can stay healthy.
0: Yeah, well, that's the big first off. And and assuming that LaShawn McCoy comes into training camp and is playing as well as he is capable of, I I don't, I don't have no doubt that he's on this opening day roster. There's no benefit to them at this point, trying to move on or get rid of right. him. They don't have anyone who's ready to take over for him at this point.
1: Not at this point, you're would, right.
0: You're, discounting Singletary's touches, and I think he will get 5 to 10% of the snaps, before the season is too old i think i think he has a lot of potential i think you're looking 65 35 in favor of mccoy over gore Um, mccoy is a much better receiving back he is a much better back out of the shotgun than gore is especially i think at this point of their respective careers Um, they do seem insistent on trying to pound the ball in a passing league uh so i think right gore will certainly have his use and he's proven to be you know able to stay healthy even at his and now we're talking about no, LaShawn McCoy isn't old for a running back. Frank Gore is old for any NFL player. And the fact that he's sure. still able to go take those carries, take that punishment, and just keep on getting his four yards of carry at, it is very impressive. I think they will like to use him. I think there's going to be points of the season where Bills fans are going to be frustrated that LaShawn McCoy isn't on the field because Frank Gore is just having a couple of good touches in a row. And they're just going to keep trying to pound him up the middle of defenses. But I think 65 to 35 roughly is where you would see that distribution of carries between the two.
1: You know, when free agency first started and they signed Gore, I thought that was a really weird signing. But now that we're just, what, less than two weeks away from the start of training camp, I'm really starting to like and appreciate that move because, well, first and foremost, let's face it, man, LaShawn McCoy was not good last year. And I know a lot of it is placed on the offensive line. And there's a lot of validity to that. They weren't good. They were historically bad last year, actually, the offensive line. Josh Allen was a rookie. The quarterbacks, Peterman, who was starting before him, McCarron, a little bit of time that he had, they weren't good at all. So you, there's some of the blame certainly can be on other people, but at the same token, and I remember having a nice conversation with Matthew Fairburn recently about this. McCoy just didn't seem like he was running hard at times. He was going down at the first side of contact, not breaking any tackles at all. Like You could breathe on him and dude was falling down. So having a guy like Frank Gore, a leader, a veteran, a future Hall of Famer on this team. I think that's a really underrated luxury that, again, as we're focused on the offensive line and the wide receiver positions as free agency is getting ready to start here, nobody thought about running back. And Besides maybe taking someone in the draft, which they ended up doing anyway. But having a guy like Frank Gore, I think really could pay dividends because if, and I'm not saying he's going to be, but if LeSean McCoy has lost it, you can cut ties with them and you got a dependable guy like Frank Gore who could be that number one guy for a while. And maybe that accelerates Devin Singletary into, you know, a number two and eventually a number one, but having him, I feel like was a really smart luxury, especially for a guy like Josh Allen going into his second year. You know what I'm saying?
0: And, and that, and I think he might play more of that role too, especially if he ends up not quite having what he's had these last couple of years. Frank Gore has seen everything in the NFL and he's seen it from every angle from winning teams to losing teams from the best to the worst from East coast to West coast. And he's going to be able to bring that knowledge to Devin Singletary, bring that knowledge to Josh Allen, to any young player in the locker room. Um, I mean, and and yeah, let's if let's say Lashawn McCoy goes out in training camp, tears his ACL, he's out for the year, or loses a step and can't play anymore. Frank Gore is not the worst option that was out there in the world, and some combination of Frank Gore, T.J. Yeldon, and Devin Singletary, it's not going to you know send shivers down the spines of opposing defenses, but. Those are guys who are capable. I mean, Yeldon's a capable backup. Gore's been a capable starter slash number two guy for some years now, and then you have that question mark in Devin Singletary. Having Gore there gives them a lot of flexibility, and it makes it. If McCoy keeps getting banged up like he has over the last couple of years, a guy you don't cringe when Frank Gore comes into the ball game to take some carries. You might have cringed at points over the last couple of years when it was. Chris Ivory or whoever else is back there just barreling straight into the back of the center and hoping something.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. Keith Ford, Marcus Murphy, guys like that. Definitely a big time upgrade. I'll tell you, though, man, running back is going to be one of the sexier positions to watch unfold during training camp. But for me personally, I'm most fascinated to see how the offensive line is going to play out because they sign guys at a at a record pace. This offseason, I mean, I think between free agency and the draft, I think the number was maybe eight. They signed eight offensive linemen, something like that. But for all these guys they signed, who, by the way, had all were quality reserve guys or had some starting experience as well. But the only one that is a lock, Mitch Morse, you can write him down in pen. You don't need to use pencil when it comes to the Bills offensive line and Mitch Morse. He's your, he's your starting center. But after that, man. Lots of things could play out.
0: Lots of I mean, things. it's open season for those positions at this point. They just got to let those guys go out and camp. And I, I like that there's that kind of open season mentality or there's a lot up in the air because I think that's going to make the cream of the crop really, you know, to, to borrow the old Macho Man adage, the cream of the crop rising to the top. It's just some of these guys have to go out there and prove themselves. But you have such depth at that position now that I feel comfortable saying that, you know, at least some of this will shake out positively and it looks to be a lot better than last year.
1: Well, there's no, first of all, yeah, because it can't be any worse. That was literally, perhaps I've been watching the bills for as long as I can remember. And I'm even going back to the mid eighties. I remember when they were two and 14 back to back seasons, I think it was 1983, 84. I was like 12 years old or something like that. Last year's offensive line was the worst offensive line I've ever seen in the history of the franchise. I think it was that bad. Honest to God, I really do. But anyway, you got Deion Dawkins. Okay. He should be the left tackle but maybe Ty Niseki ends up being the starting left tackle. I'm still not sold that they signed Ty Niseki to a short-term deal and gave him good money to be a backup. I know the general train of thought is, well, Dawkins has played left tackle. He's younger. Let's try Niseki on the right or compete with Cody Ford. But there's lots of interchangeable things, man. Dawkins could be left tackle. He might play right tackle. He could move inside the guard. Niseki could play left tackle where when he was with the Redskins, he was better as a left tackle than a right tackle. You got a rookie like Cody Ford who they used a high pick on the second round pick. He could play right tackle, which they say he's going to start out there at camp. And we'll see where he goes from there. You can play guard. You got Spencer Long in the mix at guard. You got Quinn in Spain in the mix at guard. You got Wyatt Teller coming back in the mix at guard. You got John Feliciano from the Raiders. He's very much in the mix at guard. You're like you said, there's a lot of possibilities and a lot of combinations, but the one thing they don't have a lot of benefit though, is time, you know, there's a lot of guys there to work in and out, but you gotta, you gotta get them some continuity. You gotta get them a lot of snaps at the same positions or, or try to keep those units together. So I think you're gonna be kind of in a rush to see how things play out. But again, guys who started last year, like Wyatt Teller, very well, might not even see the field this year. It's just gonna be something to me that's really fascinating to see play out. One last thing too, by the way, pro football focus, I was looking at their offensive line rankings. They had the Bills 19th. That sounds about right. Little below middle of the pack, even with all the guys they signed because these are a bunch of names, but at the end of the day, they got to do something. You know what I mean? And Mitch Morse, like we said, is he's, he's the only real lock right now.
0: Yeah. Maybe a little bit generous, even without having seen that group hit the field together after what that disaster was last year. But yeah, I mean, there's certainly potential for it. And you're right. Maybe I got like Wyatt Teller doesn't suit up for, uh, for the starting lineup for any game this year, but you know, what's better than what we had last year. If a guy gets hurt, you can have a guy in Wyatt Teller come into a game who's actually seen an NFL snap before. And yep. having the kind of depth at a position that's so physical and you see so many guys go out, miss a play here, miss a play there, just kind of platooning the offensive line. It's at least better than the alternative. And hopefully they do, as you mentioned, hopefully they do figure out what they want to do, at least in terms of where they plan on having guys at the beginning of the season, Nasaki, forward and stick to it. Um, but I wouldn't be shocked if you see a lot of rotation of that, especially early in the season as things kind of work themselves out because the pass rush you're going to see in the preseason is not the pass rush you're going to see week number right. one. yeah, right. No way the coordinator is going to send the house, you know, week three of the preseason.
1: Well, I just take comfort in the fact that I know they're on the roster right now. at least some of these guys were like, I'm not going to be seeing Vlad Dukas on Sundays and I'm not going to be seeing Russell Bourdain on Sundays. Well, I certainly hope not anyway. I, by the way, I mentioned all those guys. I should have mentioned Adrian Waddle. I actually like him a lot as he's not a starter, but hes I like him as a swing tackle. He goes from the Patriots. He's a two-time Super Bowl champion. He's a, he's a good lineman. He's not a great lineman. He's not necessarily even a starter, but he's a nice, steady presence on the offensive line. I just It's weird, dude, because we're two weeks out from training camp and we're spending all this time talking about an offensive line, which we probably would have to do on any season. But this year, like I said, I'm actually excited and kind of fascinated to see how this plays out in the When's the last time you remember talking about a Bills offensive line and having any level of excitement whatsoever about it? I can't even remember, man. I don't know.
0: When when did John Fina retire? It's been a while. I honestly, (laughs) John Fina, Ruben Brown era is the last couple offensive linemen other than Eric Wood, who has just recently left the team that you're like, look at a guy like, okay, I think he's going to do great for the entire season. Um, and, you know, maybe too they said they got scapegoated a little bit last year, too, because it's it's easy to look at an offensive line when a quarterback gets sacked and not blame the play calling or the receivers for getting open or the young quarterback for not quite knowing things yet. But yeah. hopefully, in addition to the offensive line getting better, all of those things around them also get better and that Josh Allen can have a little bit more time, but not just have more time, need less time to make the right play also.
1: Is there anyone, regardless of position, as camp's getting ready to start in a couple weeks now that you're most excited about seeing play? And if you want to say Josh Allen, I mean, that's fine. He is the quarterback, whoever. But is there one or two guys maybe that really stand out for you that you're really fired up, you're pumped up to see?
0: I'll give you one on each side of the ball. Uh, the defensive guys not going to surprise you. Uh, Tremaine Edmonds. I'm really curious to see where he stands after having a full year in the NFL. That kid is just a freak athlete. Yeah. and I'm curious to see how much he can mold himself into that prototypical star linebacker role. He's shown flashes of it, but does another offseason of conditioning, learning the playbook, does that help him significantly? Does he make a big jump? Offensively, I want to talk about a rookie we haven't talked about yet, and that's a guy in Dawson Knox at tight end. I know Tyler Croft is the guy that people are looking at Mm -hmm. and seeing that he's probably going to be the number one guy on the death chart. Knox was a guy who had some great plays, some great stats in college, just didn't have that kind of nose for the end zone. But he's got great hands. He's a big body. Tight end is something that has lacked for this team for a long time, and I think he might be a little bit of a surprise breakout star for the Bills this year.
1: Yeah, he's definitely going to get the opportunity early on, especially with Tyler Croft coming off the broken foot. And I couldn't agree with you more, by the way, about Jermaine Emmons. In fact, he might be my number one guy on this entire roster. You saw the athleticism last year, the physical ability that he had, but he was kind of held back because in part playing a very tough position and playing middle linebacker as a rookie is very difficult position to play in the NFL. But now as he starts to put things together and gain some more confidence and knowledge of how the NFL works and the systems and stuff like that, I think he's going to be the guy that as we come out of training camp and maybe even out of the preseason, depending on how much he gets an opportunity to even be out there and play during the preseason. I think he's going to be the guy that wows everybody the most, man. I think he's going to be the guy that uh that fans get the most excited about. And it's easy to see why. And he's such an under the radar guy right now because he's a first round draft pick. The Bills traded up for him. Normally, that would be like, oh, man, we're all on top of this guy. But because he came in the same draft as Josh Allen, he kind of flies under the radar just a little bit. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and that, because the quarterback is the the premier position of the NFL. So we always focus first on the quarterback. If you don't have a good quarterback, how are you going to be successful? But having the quarterback of the defense is just as important when you're out there trying to stop the other team. Yeah. And I think the defense is going to be the best side of the ball for the Bills this year. I think the offense has a lot of learning to do. Who knows what they're going to do at running back. Who knows what Allen's going to do. They still don't really have a number one receiver. The offensive line is still in flux, but I think that defense is just, it's its all set up to be a great defense.
1: Yeah. And we didn't even mention that Oliver, the the, the ninth overall pick either. So lots of, lots of stuff to look forward to with Bills camp, but we'll get into that. I do want to spend, just a quick minute here talking about the Sabers. Kind of funny. Last week, we were right around this same time. Exactly seven days ago, we spent considerable time talking about Alex Nylander, what his role might be with the team. Well, sure enough, when this podcast dropped on Tuesday morning and people listened to it, he was a former Saber because he got dealt literally hours after me and you taped our segment um, talking about him. He got traded for Henry. You all this guy... I'm going to have to learn how to pronounce this name better. I think I got it. It's Henry Yoki. How are you? Is that correct? I, I, Mikey, I, I, hate, I hate hockey knees. Isn't his nickname, the Joker? Something like it that. It should be. If it isn't. Well, it's going to be on this podcast when I'm talking about him anyway, <laughs> for now. Anyway, what do you, first of all, what are your thoughts on that trade?
0: Well, a little torn at first, because I think, I think I said on the show last week, I hope that Alex Nylander doesn't become another one of those guys who leaves Buffalo having never had significant playing yeah, time. You did. <laughs> And uh, he immediately is gone and will never get significant playing time here. Um, The one side is that Chicago Blackhawks fans appear to be very upset that the Blackhawks traded away Yoki Haru. Uh, So that's encouraging that the Blackhawks viewed him as one of their best Blackhawks fans viewed him as one of their best prospects. Um, The Sabres clearly need some help on defense. I don't know if he's going to be one of the top six guys when the season starts, but he's young and seems to be very promising. The other side is we still don't have a lot of help on the wing. And I don't know if Nylander was a long-term solution to that problem, but he was certainly part of the short-term solution for that problem. So now you wonder who else is going to be up there. And the downside of that is it looks like guys like Gergensen's and Larson, who are now both resigned, are probably both on the roster. And the defense looks a little better, but the offense looks pretty much the same. And the offense was not great last year, so that's not encouraging.
1: Well, You said something about checking out the Chicago Blackhawks reaction. That's what I do when the Sabres make a trade. I know Sabres Twitter too well, and they like every move. They just, because they want action, they want transactions. So it's very easy to automatically like a move. A lot of them, they have good reason to like, so I'm not necessarily criticizing Sabres Twitter. But my point is, when the Sabres make a deal like that, I always automatically go to the other team. I go to their media, their writers. I try to find a message board for Chicago Blackhawks fans. I go, a Facebook page, and you're 100% right, man. They were, I would say, more than just upset. A lot of them were irate. They did not want to trade that kid. And I don't know how, they don't know anything about Nylander, just like I don't know anything about the Joker, because I told you, my Yoki Haru, say it again. Yoki Haru. Yeah, him. That's what I'm talking about. Sabres fans don't know a lot about him, just like Blackhawks fans don't know a lot about Nylander, but they know a lot about their own guy, and the reaction was kind of irate. Let me ask you this, though. So don't doesn't don't have to lead to another trade now? Because you look at the Sabres roster, and even if this guy's not there from day one, I would assume he's if he's not there day one, it's going to be real close after that. But they just got too many right-handed defensemen now, don't they? They got Bogosian. They got Colin Miller, who they traded for. They got Brandon Montour, who they traded for. They got Casey Nelson. And then, of course, they got Rasmus Rysselenian. That's five right-handed defensemen. They, they're not keeping all of them, obviously. They got to get rid of someone. Isn't Risto like he's got to be still the prime candidate. Although there's a case to be made that if they were going to trade him, they probably would have done so already. But what do, what do you think they're up to? They got to be up to something.
0: Well, at the start of the season, Bogosian's going to miss a couple of months at least. So right. take him out of the equation, at least for the day one lineup. It's going to be Miller, Montour, and and probably as your right-handed defenseman. I really still I still don't think the rest of line is going to get traded at this point of the season. I think if they're in this deep, this close, this far into the offseason with mostly everyone gone, a couple of the guys that we talked about last week, now guys like Michael Ferlin, Ryan Dezingle, they have found homes on other teams. Now, Tampa Bay was maybe the premier trade target, but they got out of salary cap hell because of the Ryan Callahan situation, made another trade. I don't see it anymore. I don't think they're they're not going to push it. They were never going to push it, but I think the market's gone at this point. And if you get a guy go, maybe it's Casey Nelson, maybe it's a smaller movie. You, you trade like a guy like Casey Nelson for a young winger and hope that he sticks.
1: That's what that I was going to ask you next, because let's just say that they do keep Rasmus Whistler. Let's just say they decide that no offer out there is worth it. And I certainly don't think they should trade him just to trade him, just to make another move, just to get any four, just because they got... Too many guys right now, but let's just say they don't do that. You look at this defensive core, and they lack scoring. They they're lacking a forward. They obviously desperately would like to get somebody who they can consider a top six forward. Obviously, they're not going to trade Rasmus Stalin. and they just traded for Miller. They're not. They just traded for Montour recently, and they're not trading them. Uh, Marcus Candela's got no value. I don't think Bogosian has any real value. He's not going to bring a real return back. I look at Jake McCabe. Is he the only potential guy that they could trade from this defensive guy? If it's not Rasmus where they can go on and get some potential maybe if not top six, a top nine type Ford. Don't they got to do something else? Here's what I'm getting at, man. Jeff, don't they got to do something else at Ford right now? What we see right now on this roster, this can't possibly be their opening night top six or top nine right now, is it? Or am I wrong? I
0: mean, Well, first of all, I would not be surprised if Jake McCabe was the guy who ended up being the odd man out here. Um, He's now far enough down the list, and you didn't even talk about guys like Lawrence Pilot or Will Borgen, who are also going to be pushing him from the other direction. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, You know, I'd like to think that there's another forward move coming, but this is what they put out there last year, um, with Johansson added in and Nylander taken out. So I would not be totally shocked if they trotted out some version of this with Olafson out there and VC. probably J Smith out there on day one. I would hope they do something, but I don't know what's out there if they don't make a, like a splashy move for the sake of it.
1: No, I'm just, I just can't fathom Marcus Johansson and Jimmy VC being the, the only two additions to this four team. But here, you know, you said it, man, if if they hold on to Rasmus or Selene, that's probably going to be there. I mean, there's no free agents out there that are that kind of quality. So, They don't make another move. That's probably going to be what we're looking at. That's kind of depressing, to be honest with you. I'm encouraged about the defense, though, though,
0: before you move on from that. At at the same point, I'd almost rather them, you know, take this, take this year and try to keep improving rather than just give up on Russell Linen, trade him for a forward and hope that fixes everything. VC and Johansson are pieces. They're not going to turn you from a bottom-dwelling team to a championship team. But if the team improves, then, you know, maybe they help. Maybe Ristolainen turns around. I don't think that getting rid of Ristolainen makes or breaks this hockey team.
1: That's fair enough, man. I'm sure we'll talk about that more in the coming weeks. Got in on Seinfeld. We've talked throughout our series a couple times. I binge it. I finished it, and uh, man, I'm so glad I did. I said this at the top during the intro. You know what I consider Seinfeld to me right now? I feel like 20 years ago somebody got me a really nice Christmas present, and I put it down in my bedroom. And then I forgot about it for 20 years. I never opened it. And I finally opened it over these last couple of weeks because God, man, what an all time show this turned out to be. You were right. This show was every bit as good as I hoped it would be. I didn't have the best of expectations because like I said, I did watch an episode here or there before and Jerry Seinfeld annoyed the living shit out of me, man. But you could not have been more right. This really was As you got to know the characters and as you got to know how the show worked and the format of the show and just the the feel, the flow of the show, it just blew me away, man. It's one of the best shows I've ever seen. I'm going to be honest with you. One of the best ever.
0: I mean, the magic of the show really starts to develop as George and Elaine and Kramer turn from just, you know, Jerry's friends into these old like over the top goofy characters who are dealing with the excruciating kind of minutia of everyday life and everything from you know george working for the yankees to elaine's dancing to kramer's crazy friends and everything it starts layering on top of it and as the show goes on i know the first season's pretty dry but as you get into like those the fifth sixth, seventh seasons and everything is still kind of happening all at once you get all this crazy cast of characters it really takes on a whole different life of its own and the fact that the show works the way it does too where like it's a show about nothing quote unquote It gives them so much flexibility to just do something goofy one time, do a weird one-off episode like the Chinese restaurant, and then just move back to whatever small thing they wanted to write about the next week.
1: It's crazy too, because as I look at the ratings and I tried to stay, as I was watching the show, I didn't want to know nothing about anything. I didn't look to see, I didn't want to get spoiled on what potential like future guest stars might be on the show or what the ratings were at certain times. But as I look now that I completed it, it's kind of amazing that the show made it to a, a fourth season because- well, the first season was only five episodes, so it wasn't ranked anywhere. But seasons two and three, man, they were not box office um, successes whatsoever. They were ranked 46 and 42 in Nielsen ratings, which is pretty terrible. And then even season four only cracked the top 25, barely. It wasn't until season five where it became a ratings commercial powerhouse, where it would spend the last five seasons ranked either one, two, or three. The entire time never went any lower than that. So it, it, I guess it kind of took fans at least mainstream fans a while for it to really click in. Were you one of those guys who really never left the show because it got better as opposed to a lot of these people who seem like they didn't jump on board? Like I know a lot of people were the same way with The Office, where the first couple seasons people really didn't get into it. And then they started playing binge and catch up, you know, after a couple seasons and it got more popular. But you were kind of down with the show from day one, weren't you?
0: So my perspective is a little bit different as a little, as a younger guy, I watched all of it in syndication after the fact, I probably watched it in the early to mid two thousands for the first time. Yeah, that's right. Um, So so I didn't know really what to, what to expect other than, you know, there was X amount of seasons. My dad loved the show. We would watch, they had like, they would play like sequential episodes in syndication every night, a couple in a row. So over the course of a couple months, I watched the entire show. Um, But I think that part of that too, it spaced it out a little bit. And the first couple seasons flew by for me because the first seasons took, what, two or three days if they're playing two episodes a day. Yeah. And then by the time you get through a week of watching it, you stick through it. Then you start getting to classic episode after classic episode. Um, so my perspective is a little bit different on that, but it's a good thing. Can you imagine, like, if they had that kind of show these days, they would have canned it after five episodes. They would have never seen the life of day. You really wonder, is there a show like that out there? Is there another sitcom that, I mean, people have their things like Firefly or other shows that got canceled too early. But this show, I think if that show gets made today. It has the ratings performance that it does. It never sees an episode six, and that's crazy to think about.
1: Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do as we wind this down. I made a list of things that I really liked and things I didn't like that I wanted to discuss with you about the show. And I'll get right to, I was going to save this for last, but because you said that, I'm actually going to say this first. This is one of the things I really liked. I had already liked Curb Your Enthusiasm and Veep, those are two HBO shows, two of my favorite shows, actually. And I like those without having watched Seinfeld before that. But now that I've watched Seinfeld, I kind of got a new appreciation for both of them. Larry David on Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's a direct extension of George Costanza. We all know that. But also on Veep, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, her Selena Meyer character. I mean, it's got nothing to do with the lane, but it's got that hilarious, you know, that charming, selfish qualities that Elaine had on Seinfeld, which if you really dig into Seinfeld, she wasn't a great person. She was very shallow and superficial in a lot of ways, you know what I'm saying, which is very much like Selena Meyer's character on Veep as well. But I feel like those are two shows that were, well, definitely curved for sure, because it was created by Larry David as well. But there's shows that I think aren't around if it's not for Seinfeld.
0: I mean, if it's not for Seinfeld. I've never watched too much Kerr, but I, I love Veep. It's a great show. I mean, if, if Julia weid dreyfus doesn't get her acting chops, cut her comedy kind of chops on Seinfeld, there's no way that she has a character with that kind of comedic death that she has on Veep.
1: Yeah.
0: And I mean, you mentioned it on, on Seinfeld. She plays a, a shallow character from a rich family who nitpicks everything. And you'll, you mentioned some other things we will get to about like relationships and people that she's around, how much she just dogs on them. But that allows her, I think that role on veep does not exist. If that, if Seinfeld doesn't exist, no way, no how.
1: Yeah, I agree, man. And this is among the good things. I, I really started liking the characters, man. And they remain friends, but while they do so, they're continuously always throwing each other under the bus. They got like no outward emotional connection to each other. Yet they're still friends. And it feels for me again, I didn't realize it at the time as I'm watching this, but it just feels like a trendsetter to me for shows that I don't know if you watch these, but I did. And I enjoyed them. Shows like sunny in Philadelphia and the league where these are a group of friends that completely treat each other like shit are always throwing each other under the bus. And I kind of feel to some extent, that's what Seinfeld was as well, the way they were with each other. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's,
0: I mean, to an extent, and I don't want to speak for everyone is listening, but I, I, I think a lot of people have those friends who, you know, you're just so comfortable around that. You just dog them all the time. You talk sure. shit about to their face behind their back. And it's just, you know, out of the complete good nature of like you, you love the guy, but you just rag on him for every little thing he does wrong. that's what you do to your friends. Kind of just that kind of like guy friend, like you, you're out on the football field, your buddy misses him, misses a catch. You just dog on him for the rest of the week is. And I think that Seinfeld did a good job with that. Sunny, sunny is a whole nother level with that. And the league is too. Um, but you can tell that like Kramer, George, Jerry and Elaine, they're all great friends but they will take every little opportunity to try to you know dig at the other one at their own expense.
1: You know, another thing that I really liked about the show is it feels like it's something that could still be on the air today and be successful because, in all right, a little bit in the final season, there's some technology. I remember Elaine was on a cell phone on an airplane once and there's, you know, I remember George was selling computers in one of the later episodes of the last season, I think as well, little things like that. But for the most part, there's very little mention of any of modern technology, but yet it still felt like it's showing me that could be on the air right now in 2019 that I would still be able to enjoy as opposed to I've since started watching cheers and friends. And eventually I'm going to try to, I'm trying to mix like five or six episodes here and there. But like even with friends, which came out that started what literally one year after uh Seinfeld or did it start before? I don't know. It started right around the same era. Let's put it that way to me. I watched six episodes of Friends. It feels very dated. I don't like it. You know, I, I don't like the, the clothes. I don't like the, the, the style. It just feels very dated 90s, whereas this Seinfeld show, I feel like these guys could be on TV right now, and I still would think it's a good show.
0: Yeah, well, I think Friends is much more about the world that they live in and the things that are happening Whereas Seinfeld is so much about just like little things that people do. Yeah. Like there's so just about someone who gets who stands too close to you when they talk or an episode about only not being able to dance. These are little things that are timeless things. They've existed for 50 years before the show. They'll exist for 50 years after the show and another 50 years after that. Yeah. And other than, you know, the TV in Jerry's apartment being a little, little old looking and having a car phone in one episode, they could keep doing the show with modern technology because the, t- the technology isn't the important part of it, whether they're in New York city or any other big city, wouldn't be the important part of it. The important part of it is that people still do things that annoy you and they can write a 22 minute episode about one of those things.
1: Yeah. Like the woman with the big man hands or the girlfriend that <laughs> wouldn't allow George to break up with her. Yeah. You're that's a great point. You're a hundred percent about that. I feel like the last few seasons weren't quite as good as the prime Seinfeld years. I think like seasons four through six were absolutely untouchable, but, the same token, I don't feel like the show ever fall off a cliff either. So many shows that I've liked in the past, I really enjoyed a lot, but at the end, they just got almost unwatchable and stupid. You know, I'm older than you. I grew up watching Happy Days. It was the first show I could ever really remember liking. And as much as I love that show, the last season or two were just horrific. How I Met Your Mother, I absolutely hated the last season of that. Dexter's another show that I really was into at one time that I just had to stop watching. Shameless. I, those are just some at the top of my head. I could keep going on and on. But I feel like with Seinfeld, they never really fall off a cliff. You know, do you feel that same way too?
0: They definitely quit while they were ahead. And maybe not at the peak of the peak there towards the finale, but they still got out when they were still making good episodes. And I think that the network would have let them continue if they wanted to. Um, but it was good that they got out while they did instead of just dragging it through the mud. You can you imagine like a season 14 of Seinfeld on that decline? We, we would hate talking about it. It'd be like talking about the episodes of the office at the end that no one wants to talk about.
1: Yeah. You're right there, man. How'd you feel about the final episode? I personally liked it. I got into it with my cousin a little bit on Facebook a couple of days ago because he thought the finale sucked. I couldn't, I couldn't agree less. I actually liked it. I liked them bringing back some of these recurring characters for quick cameos just to remind us of what shitty people the four of them were. I thought that was actually clever. I mean, yeah, sure. At the end, them sitting in a jail cell. That kind of felt sort of fitting with the show though, and very anticlimactic, climatic and blah, blah, blah. But I loved them bringing back so many characters to testify just how terrible they were. And just a little quick reminder or two along the way, how did you feel about it? Do you, do you agree with me or no?
0: It's not my favorite finale of all time. Um, but I like how they did it. I, like you mentioned, I like them bringing back Babu or the lady who Jerry stole her marble rye or all these things like callbacks to everything that they've ever done and getting like they always think they're getting judged for doing these things. They're always thinking so much about how they act. And in the end, they literally have a jury of all a jury and an audience of all of these people who are actually physically judging them. And it's not just the end in the, the jail cell that really ties it all together. In the end, while they're sitting there, Jerry starts talking about how his shirt is buttoned which is something they talk about in the first episode. So they literally just circle back like through all of these things they talk about. He's still bothered by the same little things that bothered him in the first episode of the show. And I think it just goes to prove that the characters literally haven't grown, changed at all. Their experiences have happened, but they're still, you know, the same goofy four people they were. Episode one, season one.
1: Yeah. And, you know, there's a couple of sayings from there, too, that, again, I'm 20 years or so late to the party, but like yada, yada, yada. I've already been incorporating that into my everyday life. I heard of Festivus, but I did not know what it meant or what it was about. Now I do, and I cannot wait to celebrate Festivus. I'm going to find a way somehow, some way to to start celebrating that. Uh, just so many other things, man. Um, no soup for you. I Just, man, there's just so many clever sayings and disses to each other and stuff like that, that I just feel like it's part of the fabric of the culture now, pop culture, that again, for 20 years, I never even knew existed. The yada, yada, yada is my favorite though. I probably have been saying that almost every day since I saw that episode.
0: I mean, that's one of the absolutely timeless, just like, I mean, not Seinfeldism probably isn't really the, the, the right word for it, but some just iconic things from that show. And that that is certainly one, that one and No Soup for You are the ones that I think carry on the most legacy.
1: Last thing too, about the things that I did, like I became obsessed with some of the characters that featured actors, who became huge stars, but they weren't at the time. Uh, Brian Cranston was on there. Kristen Davis. Most of these played Jerry's girlfriend. That was a toothbrush episode. Um, a year later, she's on sex in the city. Courtney Cox, same year friends comes out. Uh, Terry Hatcher, the Jerry girlfriend, Lois and Clark came out shortly and in desperate housewives. He had Anna Gunn, who We talked about George's girlfriend who she wouldn't let him break up with them, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. She went on to start breaking bad. Uh, Ben Stiller's future ex-wife star Dodgeball and Zoolander. Christine Taylor was on that show. Amanda Peet, Jeremy Piven, many years before um, Entourage came out. Uh, Lauren Graham, Deborah Messing, of course, was on a few episodes, about a year or so before Will and Grace, Marcia Cross. Catherine Keener was in the 40-year-old version. It's just so, I could not believe I was getting blown away. One of my favorite things about binging the show is I couldn't wait to get to the next one because I wanted to see what future star was going to be on that episode that was just I don't want to say necessarily a nobody at the time, but they weren't the big star that they would go on to become. That was one of my favorite things about benching the show.
0: I mean, as they started getting to the seasons by are drawing the high ratings, you just know that every agent was trying to get their hot new client into some sort of guest role on this show. And it really starts to show as you get to like the season four, season five, versions of Jerry's girlfriends. You mentioned a lot of them. They are all just people who were very close to breaking out and they did between when they got on the show and now. Um, and I always love Brian Cranston as, as Tim Watley. I think that's a great role of his. Under, it'll be underappreciated. If you look back at you know, everything he's done since then, all the great work he's done in Breaking Bad. But for a guy like that with a very serious role, also a great comedic actor.
1: Yeah. And, you know, that's probably the one biggest advantage of being able to binge it as opposed to if you had watched it originally back in the time. Like if Deborah Messi was on, she was just a female actor, actress at the time. You didn't know who she was. She didn't mean anything at the time. Now you watch and you're like, holy shit, man. You know, I recognize this person. I know that person is. I love that the most. And the other side, the bad, there wasn't a lot of things I didn't like, but one of them, I never cared for Elaine's on and off again, boyfriend, Putty. I don't know how you felt about that dude, but he kind of annoyed me.
0: I like Putty um, to an extent. He drags on a little bit sometimes, but I love um a couple things a couple putty plot points which are the jesus fish on the back of his car and the christian radio episode and the one with the face painting where he runs into the street yelling <laughs> where the devil's at the priest
1: yeah that was kind of funny man i also never cared very much for the jerry seinfeld versus newman rivalry i never really cared for newman at all for that matter right i get it he brought something different to the show but nah, it just wasn't for me man one for me at all.
0: I agree with with you on that one. I think Newman has carried too high in regard in all-time Seinfeld character rankings. He's fine. Like, I don't dislike the character. I think Wayne Knight did a good job with it, but if it wasn't um, one of the episodes about like his actual job at the post office, the one where he's trying to help uh, Kramer d- get an extra five cents by taking the cans and bottles up to a state where they get 10 cents on returns. Yeah. <laughs> so just much more forgettable than some other characters in terms of overall, like things that I draw from the show.
1: See, that's the thing about this show. I'm telling you something that I don't like. Then you're bringing up a memory from the show. And I instantly just start laughing because that actually was funny. The other thing too, Jerry, we've talked about this before. I, I just found him annoying and I found his monologues. I hated him, but, we talked about this two weeks ago. I did get used to it, and I I started hating. I don't want to say, God, hate's such a bad word. I started disliking him less as the seasons went on. Maybe It became, you said it already, it became less about just him. It became more about all four of them. And the monologues kind of died off as the seasons went on. They were still on, but they were much more, uh, less frequent, and they didn't last as long. That was, that was a good thing.
0: I mean, he's, I think he's the worst developed of the main four characters. Cause the kind of, the world is kind of happens around him sometimes. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think that the show is viewed very much through his eyes. Things annoy him. He's annoyed all the time. Um, so I think he comes off as complaining and monologuing a lot more than some of the other characters do because he's dealing with all the crap that Kramer, George, Elaine, his girlfriends, his job, all these people throw at him. Um, I think that they did a good job by getting away from like the stand-up focused format of the first season where it really felt like they were just doing like, here's a bit of Jerry's stand-up and then here's like part of the show, and here's some more stand-up and here's a part of a show. So it flowed a lot better as it went on. I don't know, his monologue he never bothered me, I don't think, as much as it, it bothered you in the show.
1: Was there anything on your end, something that maybe I didn't hit on that you weren't a big fan of, something that you didn't like? Like if somebody is considering watching a show and they said you know what, Jeff? What are the biggest pros and cons about this show? Is there a con that I didn't hit on that maybe you have, or do you think we got it all?
0: I'm that—that's all that I can think of. It's my favorite comedy of all time by by a long shot. Uh, so there's not a lot that stands out to me on the negative side of things. Um, I, I, it does go down a little bit in the end. I would say I didn't love the finale, but I did still like where they went with it. At least getting out while they're ahead, but. Overall, for me, not a, not really a ton to add to the negative column.
1: No, right, it's fair enough, man. Last question here, and then I'm going to let you go. Last week, we discussed our Mount Rushmore of TV show theme songs. Now that I did finish Seinfeld, the series, I want to get your Mount Rushmore of TV shows. Not songs, TV shows. I'll give you a quick second to think about it. I'll, I'll run you off mine first. Which well, I guess yeah, I am going to rank them. The Office is still number one for me, okay? that That's a no-brainer, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. I definitely would have The Sopranos on there. And after this, man, Seinfeld is on there. I never, ever, 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 ever thought Seinfeld would be one of my three favorite TV shows of all time, but it is. That's my third. And the fourth one is the only real tough decision I had right now, and it was between Game of Thrones and, like I talked about earlier, in our discussion, Happy Days, just because it was the first comedy TV show as a young kid that I can remember. And I grew up with it, man. The Fonz was my hero, but I'm going to go with Game of Thrones just because I thought it was so revolutionary and every episode felt like a movie to me. So finale wasn't the greatest and the last season wasn't the greatest, but as a whole, Game of Thrones was just uh it was a force. So that's my four, man. The Office of Sopranos, Seinfeld and Game of Thrones. What do you got?
0: So for me personally, I tend to watch a lot of goofier television, so Seinfeld's on there for me for sure. Mm-hmm. I love Futurama. The other couple for me are a little bit off the uh, maybe off the beaten path a little bit. I think Law & Order is so by itself in terms of what they do television-wise and all the spinoffs and everything for all these years. That's up there for me, and I'm going completely off the wall for number four, Price is Right. No TV show can claim to do what they've done for as long as they do, drawing the ratings and having that kind of impact um, year after year. And I think Bob Barker is an all-time great television host. And that's number four on that Mount Rushmore for me.
1: All right, man. Nice. I like that. I never would have thought that price is right. Never would have thought of that. I like it though. I like it, man. All right, everyone give Jeff a follow out there. If you haven't already, Jeff Boyd, seven one six, seven one six sports podcast. I know you got a guy's got a lot of stuff coming up in the coming weeks. Bill's season is getting ready to ramp up. Sabre season. Eventually will start. Maybe they will add a Ford, but who the hell knows, man. Regardless, we'll talk again soon, man. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for being patient with me through this whole Seinfeld thing. It's kind of funny. As I was preparing these notes, Bill Saber stuff, I was like, you know what? I guess we got to talk Bills and Sabers. I can't just have a, a conversation in a podcast about Seinfeld. But I was really, really, really looking forward to talking Seinfeld with you, man. <laughs> well, no you, disappointments. You
0: t- so the, the Bills and Sabers notes are like, oh, let's talk about this. The Seinfeld notes, I think you wrote me a short a short story about everything <laughs> you were so excited about. bursting out of the seams to talk about it, so... <laughs>
1: All right, that is going to do it for this episode. Big thank you again, Jeff Boyd from the 716 Sports Podcast, The Big Boy Theory. Love having that dude on as often as I can. Good sports talk, good Seinfeld talk today as well. Guys, girls, let me warn you right now, this is where I'm going to ask you to do kind of a bunch of shit for me. If you have not yet done so already, please go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. When you subscribe, new episodes are automatically gonna get sent directly to your iPhone, your Android, laptop, computer, iPad, whatever it is that you use within literal seconds of being released. That is always the benefit of being a subscriber. You'll get the new episodes before anyone else does. Usually have a new show every Tuesday and every Friday. Also. Please do not forget to rate and review the show as well. It takes not even 20 seconds to do. I say it every week and I do because it's really important. It helps me grow this podcast tremendously. You can find us anywhere future award winning podcasts are found like Google Play, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, all of them. Also, you can subscribe to our kind of new YouTube channel. Just go on YouTube, type in Analytics Podcast. It's going to come up. Hit that subscribe button there, that little bell right next to it, so you get notifications when new content's released. I got highlight clips from current and past episodes up there, some original audio content as well. And then last but not least, go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Tamaran Tweets. Still got that Identity Inc. free contest giveaway going on on my Twitter page chicken wing takes, sports takes, TV takes, all kinds of takes, some good, some bad. Follow me again at tweets. Thank you again for listening. I truly, truly appreciate each and every single one of you that listen to this podcast. I'll be back with a new one on Friday. We'll have plenty to talk about. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.